Uh, we're going to hear what God's going to say to us today. He's going to talk to us through his word. Let me pray now and ask him to speak. Father, we want to thank you that you are kind, that you are good, uh, that your word is real, that you speak by, by your word, that it's living and active. And right now, we can hear from you, the king and creator of all things. So Lord, we want to pray that uh, we would be able to put aside distractions and thoughts and that you would help us to listen to what you have to say to us. Your word is a personal word to each of us. And you've brought us here this morning to say something. Lord, if our hearts are cold and we feel distant or guilty or shame, whatever it is, we want to pray, pray that we would just know that it's, been, that it's been dealt with in the cross, that we have a God who loves us and who wants to meet with us again. So I want to pray that we would hear from you right now. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's, uh, as we just heard, announcements for Christmas. Christmas is almost here. Wowee, it's almost here. Uh, and Christmas means holidays. It means school holidays for my family. And in my family, we go away for a few weeks camping, which I'm still trying to get used to camping. Don't love that. Anyway, we're working on that. Um, but it uh, also means uh, school activities, uh, things to do for the kids during, um, during the holidays that, that they like. And one of those things is the movies. And at, at uh, the Christmas holidays, there's always great movies that come out. Star Wars is coming out soon. Who's a Star Wars fan? Yeah, there you go. There's one excited Star Wars fan. Um, uh, we have Star Wars coming out and the classic two, Frozen 2, is coming out really soon. Um, yep, there you go. Too great. Uh, so in the holidays, we go to the movies and see uh, different... Uh, in the holidays, we go to the movies and see uh, movies that have just come out. And we have a routine uh, that we have, a very similar routine, every time we go to the movies. And so uh, often what happens is Katie will get the kids a water bottle and fill it up with whatever drink they want and then she, you know, gets some knowledge and smuggles them into her bag and with covert operation trying to make sure they don't check bags she gets in. She looks innocent but she's not really Katie. Uh, she, sneaks, she sneaks all her food in and then we go, because food's so expensive there. And so then we go and buy one giant popcorn to share as well as a family because it's so expensive. And so we get this one giant popcorn and we're supposed to share this giant popcorn between five people in our family. And so we have a rule. The rule is you can't start eating the popcorn until the movie started. You can't touch it. So I hold it, <laughs> sneaking a few little ones, but I hold it and no one can touch it. When the movie starts, though, it's game on, right? It's game on and hands flying everywhere. And... Each kid, and maybe dad a little bit, is worried that I will not, we will not get enough popcorn. So the first 45 minutes, you don't really see the movie. You are just so focused on getting that popcorn into your mouth as fast as you can so that you make sure you get enough popcorn and no one else takes your popcorn. And that's the name of the game. Problem is, though, you missed the first five, 45 minutes of the movie because you were just trying to stuff popcorn into your face. And so really, the reason for coming to the movie is lost because you're just trying to eat popcorn, which you can actually eat anytime, but you, you miss the movie and you really lose perspective about why you're there. You're there to watch a movie, not just to smash popcorn. That's my kid's problem. Perspective. Perspective. And losing perspective can be dangerous, can't it? You know when you're taught to drive, uh, you need perspective. You've got to drive and you're taught to check your blind spots, check over your shoulders. You're supposed to check you know, your mirrors when you start the car. You're supposed to look at crossroads when you come. You need perspective when you drive not just putting blinkers on and looking in front of you. It's dangerous. You need to know what's going on around you. Similar when you play sport, contact sport, you need to know where you are on the field. You need to know what's around you. Looking around, not just head down at the ball. You can't ball watch. You need to know the bigger picture of the game. What's going on around you so you can make a good decision and to be safe. 
Having perspective, seeing the bigger picture, is vital in all areas of life if you want to flourish, if you want to thrive. Rob just told us we are in the book of James, and James has been telling us all about the differences it makes in life to be a follower of Jesus, living out a faith that affects all areas of life. We've seen James mention how we use our tongues and how we speak to people. We've seen James speak of hardships and suffering. We've seen him speak on how we deal with conflict, how we treat those who are different to us. These are all things that James has been speaking about in this book to show us what being a follower of Jesus means and how it affects these areas of life. And today James will speak about how our faith, how our real faith affects how we have plans and ambitions and how we use our wealth. And his answer is going to be all about perspective, having the right perspective. I don't know about you, but I think it's quite easy to lose perspective, to lose the bigger picture. Life can be so busy. I think we often get our heads down and we just try to get through life often. We get caught up in a wave of busyness just to get to the next thing, get over the next stressful activity or the next stressful hurdle we've got to get through day by day, the next task. And soon life really quickly and easily can become a series of tasks, right? Uh, you know, you go through the motions, you go to work, you go to church, you go to MC, you get your kids ready, uh, you take your kids to their sporting activities, you do your shopping, clean the house, see the family, see my friends, exercise, be healthy, go to the gym. All these things come in our life and there are a series of tasks that we feel overwhelmed by. And I feel like we've got to keep on going. And I'm not sure that many of us really like to live this way, but we feel so busy and rushed. And very rarely, I think, do we stop and step back back and see perspective and get perspective about what's really going on, the bigger picture. And James is saying if we don't do this, it's dangerous. Just a few weeks ago, we had up here, we had Graham and Sarah Edwards, the the people that we support who are missionaries going to Ireland. I met Graham saying up the front here that we need to not just look at our own small jigsaw puzzle, but see the bigger picture, see God's big puzzle that he is working with to lift our eyes. And see the bigger picture at play, get some perspective. James wants to say to us today that real faith means perspective. Real faith means perspective. And he'll challenge us in that. We're going to look at this in James 4 and 5. And here are my three sort of points, observations to help us navigate what James is saying here um, in this passage. I'm going to look at perspective affects how we plan, perspective affects what we plan. And perspective affects wealth. Let's see what God wants to say to us this morning. Let's have a look at sentences four, sorry, James 4, 13 and 14, about how perspective affects how we plan. It says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such, such and such a town and spend a year there and then trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, we don't really know James is quoting someone. We don't really know who he's quoting. It doesn't really matter. He's trying to get to the attitude behind what is being said here. And don't get me wrong here. James is not going against people who, who plan or organize, who have ambitions. He's not against that at all. He's against people with the, with the attitude of this. Because planning and being organized is an unavoidable uh, thing in life. Our life calendar fills up, and so we need to plan and organize, so we keep various commitments. But James is going at uh, an attitude of presumptuous planning. 
planning and speaking as if you are the center of all things and everything within, is within your control. Planning that leaves God out of the picture. And James wants to correct this by giving us a, a harsh dose of perspective. He's going to do it in two ways, firstly. View of our, a view of the future and view of ourselves. And he challenges first the view of the future, how we speak of it. He says there, have a look there, he says there, you do not even know what tomorrow will, be, will bring. We have no idea or no control over tomorrow. And James, I think, puts his finger on and presses on a really uncomfortable truth that we try to ignore. That we have no control over our futures. None. None whatsoever. And that's a little confronting. Someone like me, I want to control. I want to know what's coming so I can cause the best outcome to come. I want things to work out well for me and people that I love. But the reality is we don't, we won't. And that's scary. Here's the crazy thing for followers of Jesus, right? We will know where we will be and what life will be like for us for the next million years. But we have no idea what will happen tomorrow. It's in God's hands. He hasn't told us. We are in the dark about tomorrow. And on one level, we recognize this, don't we? We, we check weather apps. We, check, we, check, we listen to traffic reports. And we know they may be wrong, and we have a backup plan just in case, but it reminds us that we aren't in control. We can guess, we can wish, we can hope for a number of things in the future, but their wishes and their hopes, we don't know, and we have no control over them. You could plan to see a friend tomorrow for lunch, for example. But there may be a car accident where the road's blocked and you can't get through to see that person. Or you may get hit with a gastro bug tonight and you can't go tomorrow. Or Jesus may return during my sermon. He may. Um, as much as we, as we make plans, tomorrow belongs to the Lord. Tomorrow belongs to the Lord. We do not know what will happen. And James is saying we need to factor that into our view of the future. Secondly, James gives, gives us a dose of perspective by challenging our view of ourselves. Uh, this week, I celebrated my 39th birthday. Thank you. I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Um, my birthday was on Monday. I think Mondays are the worst out of birthdays. No one likes a Monday. Anyway, um, my family kindly made me breakfast and uh, they gave me a juicer to make some smoothies and juices. So come over for a smoothie. Anyway, uh, the day, the few days after my birthday, this ad appeared on my Facebook wall. Can you hit it for me? There, I'll read it for you. It basically says there, celebrate your 40th. With the gang and uh, let us take care of the, uh, let us take care of your party. Basically, I, I looked at this and thought, "Hang on, how dare you say the F word already?" I am, I'm 39, and uh, I'm a long way from 40. Almost a whole year, in fact. Um, very insensitive. But it's crazy to think that I will turn 40 next year. Um, what I find most crazy about this is that I can still picture in my mind's eye, I can still picture my mum's 40th birthday. It was at Putney Park. She had a yellow jumper on with a green emblem, and she had a massive perm, big fluffy head. And um, I remember, and I remember I can picture my mum's 40th birthday. As most of you know, my mum passed away this year. Uh, she, she passed away at the start of the year. And for me, a whole generation is now past. It's gone. I can remember it. I can picture all of it. 
and make me feel, wow, life is short. Life is short. This is what James is saying here. He says this, he says, what is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. He gives you a dose of reality, a dose of perspective. You know, I wonder if you were to be asked the question, what is your life? If someone said, hey, what, what is your life? How would you describe your life? You'd probably go to some achievements maybe, or some regrets or failures or hardships, or maybe you'd speak of career or family or relationships. But I'm pretty sure none of you would say what James says. I'm a mist that vanishes really quickly. That's what he says. You're a mist that vanishes. You know, think of mist for a second. Think of when you have a shower on a cold morning or a cold night, and you turn your hot shower on, and the mist comes for a minute, right? It comes down, you open, and then you get out of the shower, and then you open the window or turn the exhaust fan on. Where's the mist go? Disappears, right? Gone. Vanishes. Quick. Doesn't stay around for long. It moves on. This is what James is saying that our lives are like. A mist that vanishes quickly. That's confronting. This is humbling. James is saying, here's reality. Here's perspective. But it's true, right? I wonder if I was to ask you the question, could you name for me the first name of your great-great-grandfather or grandmother? Give me their names. You'd be going, I have no idea. But these were people who were around, who lived a good life, who had family, had friends, who had a career, who had a job, whatever they would have had, not, around not that long ago, and we've, we already can't remember, remember them. They're gone. Our world has moved on, moved on. Our lives are fleeting. They move on quick. This is a humbling dose of reality about who we are. That's what James wants to say to us here. We work hard for things. We get stressed over things. We put so much time and effort into things. Things keep us up at night. But soon there'll be a distant memory. Gone. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Not for you. Not for me. Not for the person next to you. Life is a mist. And I don't know about how you feel when you hear this. I'm sure you're a little confronted as I was or uncomfortable or humbled. But as we think about it, I hope it's also a bit freeing for you. As it takes the pressure off. You see, what Jesus offers those who follow him is not certain about tomorrow or what it will be like. But he offers certainty of what the next million years will be like. So the beauty of being a child of God is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you can know without a doubt what your long-term future will be like and look like. Jesus has defeated death and sin forever and guaranteed a place with him in eternity. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We know the bigger picture and how the story ends. And this, this should shape and give us hope and meaning and purpose of how we live now. And he promises in the meantime to be with us and guide us by his Holy Spirit and work for our good. And so James is telling us here to let this perspective shape how we live now, to have, to have perspective on how we plan, our ambitions. He's not saying don't make plans, don't have ambitions, but he's saying do it in light of who you are, of this world that is fading, in light of my sovereign rule that I'm the one in control, that you can't control tomorrow. I can, I know what's coming. 
plan, plan knowing the will of God and being subject to Him. And our attitudes are to reflect that. And so James gives us another way to think. Have a look at sentence 15 with me. James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now this is not just a pitchy catchphrase that we had to say when we make plans like, see you tomorrow, but hey, unless the Lord wills. He's not saying that, right? He's saying this is the attitude that we are to have, recognizing that we are not in control, we are not the master of our own destiny, that God is the center of the universe, and I am but a fleeting mist. Proverbs 16.9 says this, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Can I ask you, how often do you acknowledge God as the king, having, having, having the perspective that James is talking about? How often do you pray over your plans, pray over your ambitions, asking God to guide you? Praying, God, whatever your will, will is, let it be done in my life. Just show me what to do. How often do you pray and then wait on God to answer? I think we often make plans and then ask God to bless them. Hey, God, I want to do this. Can you bless this for me? I want to encourage you to pray about work, jobs, career, relationships, where to live, what to do, what to pursue, whatever it is. Pray and acknowledge God as the one who is the center and the sovereign king of all things, who is the God of tomorrow, who is the God of a million years. And then wait on him and cling to this promise that is found in, in Psalm 32, 8, which says this. God saying this, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I want to ask you, will you let him set the agenda and then wait and trust him to answer? That's what James is saying about perspective and how we're to make plans. James shows us how we're to make plans, but he also then pushes in on what we're to make plans about, the content of our plans. So when we get perspective that our lives are a mist, we can't control tomorrow, that God is a sovereign ruler of all, we see that our plans need to reflect these truths. And God gives each of us 24 hours a day as a gift from Him to be used uh, as, not as we please, but as He pleases, as followers of Him. That's what it means to sit under His Lordship, to do things for Him as He, having Him as the King. And I think James here, in his, in his confronting way, challenges us to think about, to make plans and to have ambitions that reflect uh, who we say we follow as followers of Jesus. See, think about this for a second, right? I want you to ponder this for a second. Do the plans that you make and the ambitions you have for your life look any different to someone who doesn't know Jesus? And the question is, should they? Do the plans and ambitions you have for your life, the goals you have for your life, look any different to someone who doesn't know the truth of the gospel? And should they? Should someone look at your life, how you spend your time, what you prioritize, what you invest in, look at your life and say, wow, that's so different. What is going on in their life? And just this week, uh, Katie was talking to a, a dad from um, one of the school. And the common question always comes up, hey, what does your husband do for a job? Um, I always see him walking around the place around here and sitting in cafes. <laughs> 
And Katie gets asked that question. I get asked that question for the, for the parents a lot. And uh, I remember when I, was, when I was at the local cafe, Piccolo's, and I was talking to the, the waiters, the wait staff there, and I just introduced myself. And they say, what do you do? And I have a bit of fun with it and say, well, you tell me, what do you think I do? Have a guess. And the person that I met said, they are, I think you're, you're, you look a bit sporty, and so um, you are a cross between a life coach and a personal trainer, maybe a life trainer. I'm like, great, I could do that. Uh, I like that. And then someone said, oh, are you a writer? I'm like, I am not a writer. I sit and battle away with my one-finger sermons, just trying to type my sermons out. Someone said, oh, maybe you're an investment banker? Someone said, a drug dealer? Because I met with different people. People come to the table and go again. I'm just, just offering, <laughs> offering deals, deals out. Maybe, maybe I'm a jackfruit dealer, but anyhow, it's a different story, right? Don't worry about that. That's a different illustration. Um, but I, what they're trying to do is look at my life and then discern what I do, right? So observe me and then say, what makes sense of what he does with his time? How do those two things fit together? So if, I say, if I said to him, I give sermons, I lead a church, I lead Bible studies, or I teach scripture, they'd say, oh, you're a pastor. I get that. And so if you see someone walking the road, right, with high-vis clothes on, work boots, tool, but you think, tradie, see someone in the city in the morning, suit, briefcase, think, what color job, right? That's how we think, that's how we work it out. Again, I wonder, if someone was to look at your life, what you plan, how's your time, would they say, follower of Jesus? Would they say that? Making plans, using your time as a follower of Jesus that, that don't take God into consideration or his purposes or will? James says in sentence 16, that is arrogance. That is arrogance. It says you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is arrogant, is evil. We can't control tomorrow. Our lives are a mess. We make plans without acknowledging or considering God. James says that's arrogance. If you know these things and don't acknowledge him or make plans in light of that, arrogance. That's what he's saying. I read one writer say, it's, I think it's easy for us as followers of, of Jesus who live in a Western culture where we are self-reliant, everything at our fingertips. We become functional atheists. No, we make plans and fill our calendar and diaries up. Our planning revolves around us and how to manage our busy lives. And James is challenging this way of thinking. So if you know God and his love and his lordship, then we also know the good that he's called us to do, that we are to reflect in our lives what we plan to do. Look at what he says in sentence 17, right? He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him that is sin." James is saying, as we have this perspective about knowing God and his love and his goodness and his grace and how much we give it in Jesus and his sovereign rule over all things, and we know we're a mist and we control nothing and we know the good we ought to do and we don't do it, he's saying, that's sin. James is calling it for what it is. And James is saying, having perspective not only affects how you plan, but affects what you plan, the contents of your life. And James is saying this is what real faith looks like as a follower of Jesus. Doing the good he has called you to do. But I wonder, what would this look like in practice? Well, I think firstly, we need to know the good that God has called us to do. As a follower of Jesus, God has called you to do good. And I want to say, if you don't know the good that God has called you to do, then you need to work that out. You need to read the Bible, it's everywhere. 
God calls his people to do good to those around them, to reflect him, his love, his grace, his mercy, to be his, his, his representative of showing good, of showing kind, of showing love to all around. Being a follower of Jesus is not simply a free ticket to heaven. Like, I'm saved, I can do what I want. No, we are saved by grace and then called to do good in this world as we live out reflecting the love that we've been shown. I want to show you just two quick passages showing this, really simply. Ephesians 2.10 says this, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God has prepared for us in advance to do. Another one, Matthew 5, where where we get the name City Light for this church from, this passage here, it says this, it says, uh, let, your, let your light shine before others. Why? That they may see what? Your good deeds and glorify God, uh, your Father in heaven. Doing good reflects on God because He is good. And we are called to do good. We need to plan, though, to do good. To do the right thing as we should. I want to ask, does your calendar reflect that or are you too busy? To do good. I get more practical. One small way to do good, right? One small way to do good. Here it is. How much of a priority, how much does your calendar reflect of a priority is to meet with the church family here? To go to MC each week. Now that requires planning to be here each Sunday, doesn't it? To get that locked into your calendar. Each small group, each church gathering here is a divine appointment with God and his church family to love and to encourage and to spur on. Church here each week is not just about a spiritual fix or hit you get. Hebrews says, Hebrews 10 says, 10, 19 and 25 says, we're not to to give up meeting together, but we are to to meet together to spur one another on towards what? Love and good deeds. Spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. I want to challenge our view of church being this consumeristic culture of where we come to get rather than come to love, to come to do good to one another. I think we often, we often say things like, life's too busy at the moment, work is crazy, life is manic, I've got a family brunch, a family lunch, I've got friends, with, a friends coming to town, I've got, I've got this, when life settles down, maybe I have an assignment to do, my cat's sick, I've got a sore toe. Like, it's, it's constant, right? Life is busy. Life takes planning. What does your planning show about doing good? What does your planning reflect? What does your planning show your priority is? This is what James is saying here. Or maybe we say things like, I have no time to meet with God. I'm too busy. Or I'm too busy to love and serve the people around me that need to be loved, like my spouse, my kids, my neighbors, my family, my friends, my work colleagues. And so we've made something else our priority and we plan our lives around that. James says, no, any perspective. Life is a mist. God is sovereign. We need to reflect that. I just want to do something different. I just want to give you a minute right now. Because I feel like that's a challenge that God has put before us. And I, I believe that God speaks. And so I want to give you a minute right now, just in your own mind, to think on the challenge that James has put before us about your priorities, about your time and what they reflect. And I want you to sit in silence for just a minute to hear what God is saying to you. Take a minute right now.
perspective is so important when we're follow, being followers of Jesus. Understanding the bigger picture, it affects how we plan, it affects what we plan, but finally it also affects our wealth. And then James jumps into this in James 5, 1 to 6, and again, he doesn't hold back. This is some of the strongest words you'll read or find in the New Testament. James is going to speak um, in sentences 1 to 6, and I want to say straight up that he's, I believe he's not talking to the church, he's not talking to followers of Jesus, he's not, he's not speaking to the people in front of him. I believe he's, he's, he's writing, addressing the, those around the church who are rich, who love their money more than they love God. And James is going to speak to them, um, and we see this because he doesn't call them to repent or call them brothers and sisters, which he does for the rest of the book. So I believe he's writing to those outside the church who love money more uh, than, uh, than God. Why does James do this? Because I think two reasons why. I think because those in the church have been, been treated poorly by those who are rich and in power. He wants, to, he wants the, the listeners to hear that God's not okay with that and he'll bring justice. But also, he's also saying to them, don't look up to those who are rich, like, uh, who are rich people. Don't look up to them and want to be like them because God is not pleased with them. So that's sort of the context we're going to look at here about how perspective and wealth fit together. Have a look at sentence one from chapter five. It says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's a nice soft way to start, isn't it? He's just jumping in, right? Straight in there. James is serious, a strong warning. What's going on? Well, it's not about wealth. It's about how, how you use your wealth, what is done with your wealth. And James gives three quick reasons why the rich will be judged. Have a look at sentences two to three with me. It says this, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last day. First reason why. James is saying hoarding. They hoard. They hoard their wealth. James gives us this picture here of a wealthy person who has stored up lavish stuff, so much stuff they can't even use it, and now it's just rotting away, wasting. Almost like they've got all this stuff never with the intention of using it, and now it's wasting away. It's no good. It's rotting. And God's saying here, I'm going to use that as evidence against you. I love what the, the theologian John Calvin says about this. It says this, God has not appointed gold for rust, nor garments for moths, but on the contrary, he has designed them as aids and helps to human life. The warning here from God is, is hoarding wealth for the sake of being able to show off to keep it for yourself is a dangerous thing, and God says, I'm going to judge that. And we need perspective to see that we're in the last days, and God will return and hold people to account for how they've treated their wealth. Wealth will not last, but God says, use it for the sake of others, for blessing others, for caring for others, for loving others, not hoarding it for your own name or for your own glory. Second reason, extravagance. Have a look at this, sentence five. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. Now James is not saying you can't enjoy good things, but he's talking about this attitude that sees yourself at the center of all things, of living this pampered lifestyle where you just have lavish things and it's all about you, being as comfortable as possible, having this lavish lifestyle. But again, as followers of Jesus, uh, uh, the Bible tells us that all our gifts are from God to be used for the service of others. Just like Jesus, who was rich, but for our sake became poor, who had everything but left it to serve and love us. We are to do the same when it comes to wealth. And this is another warning we need to hear. The first one was 
hoarding. The second was extravagance. And the third one is injustice. That's why judgment is coming on the rich. Look at this, sentence four. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James is saying, judgment is coming on the rich here for their treatment of their workers. They're using their power and their wealth to oppress their workers, to treat them unfairly. And God says, I hear and I care and I love and I will do something about it. I will bring justice. God is concerned for the poor, for the needy, for the oppressed, and he will not turn a blind eye to those who treat him poorly. He will just, he'll be, bring justice and he will act. And God is saying here for the rich who hoard, the rich who are extravagant, the rich who pursue injustice, I will bring judgment on you. And for, the, for, what? for us who live in an affluent country, in an affluent time, who are in the West, we need to hear this warning loud and clear. It's not about being rich that is the problem, but it's about hoarding and extravagance and injustice. It's about loving money more than loving God. And wealth is dangerous, and we need to know our hearts. And we need a meaning perspective to see that, that, that life is a mist. We don't know what will come tomorrow, but God is the king and the judge. And I love what Proverbs 30 says, 8 and 9, look at this. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. Give me neither poverty nor riches, the, uh, the writer saying here in Proverbs. And our world, I think, would mock such an ambition and request. But God doesn't. And this proverb encourages us to throw ourselves on God who is dependable, who is trustworthy, and, and depend on Him for our daily bread. Not having too much so we forget Him, or too little so we dishonor Him by stealing or, or pursuing, uh, pursuing things that we shouldn't. Give me neither poverty nor riches. We have a God who is rich in mercy, who has given us every spiritual blessing, who has held nothing back, even his son. We have a God who has promised to give us internal inheritance for the next million years and on. And so I want to say, let's be followers who have perspective, who see the bigger picture and see that God is the God of tomorrow. And then our lives are a mist. Let's make plans around those truths. We may not know tomorrow, but we know where we will be in a million years. Let's see people who live out our faith and have true perspective. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for your word that just challenges us. And we know this is coming not from an angry God or a disappointed Father, but a loving one who wants us to set us free. We have freedom in Christ. We are free to be the people you've made us to be. We are free from the enslavement of, of things of this world that will just fade. Like, like well, thank you for money. That's a gift. But help us to hold it with an open hand, seeking to love and to bless others. We have all spiritual wealth in you. We know our days to come are just far beyond what we can imagine or comprehend. We want to pray we would live with that truth in, in our minds and hold on to things of this world with an open hand. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith, so that the things of this world become strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Thank you so much for your truth and for your word. Help us help, help your word to challenge us when we need to be challenged and comfort us when we need to be comforted. 
Thank you, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.